0: You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times best-selling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are.
1: Hello, world. Welcome back to Right Where You Are. This is your host, Jason Wright. Thank you so much for joining us. I know I say this every single week, but it does mean a lot to me that you give me a little bit of time each week to tune into the show and to hear our guests before we get to today's guest. If you're listening, then you have picked up the new book, Even the Dog Knows, right? You're nodding wherever you are, in your car, jogging, doing laundry, sitting at your desk. You're nodding and saying, I I did pick up Even the Dog Knows, and I loved it. If you loved it, you should leave a review on Amazon. Reviews are really, really important, particularly in the first couple of months. So uh, if you have picked up Even the Dog nose, whether it was the uh, Audible version, the hardcover that you book, and you enjoyed it, please leave a review on Amazon. All right. Our guest today is a man I have known um, for a long time. And actually, we're in person. We're face-to-face, which is a treat because as my listeners know, normally we're using Zoom. Uh, which is a a great blessing. And we love the technology, but the the ability to sit face-to-face is awfully nice. He is the author of When Caregiving Calls, Guidance as You Care for a Parent, Spouse, or Aging Relative. And if you are listening to this podcast, then you are either caring for a parent, spouse, or aging relative, or you will someday likely care for a parent. Spouse or aging relative. Perhaps in the 51 episodes of the show, I've not had a guest on a topic that is as universal as this one is. And I didn't realize just how universal this was until I found myself in this situation in my own family. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that as well. His book received the 2020 Best Indie Book Award in the nonfiction caregiving category. Pretty cool. Um, The next year, he won an Independent Publishers Book Award in the Aging, Death, and Dying category. Uh, He is an international speaker and consultant on these topics. He's the founder of a company called Caregiving Kinetics with a K, which I love. And he has been recognized uh, as a top 100 healthcare leader by the International Forum on Advancements in Healthcare. By the way, I am not on that list. I checked. I checked before the show. I'm not in the top 100. His passion for supporting caregivers is rooted in his experience as a caregiver in his own family. Um, and previously, uh, as the owner of a massive home uh, home care company, what do we call that? Home care? Home care. Home care, home care company. Um, and so he has experience both professionally and in a deeply personal way. And he'll talk about that. Also, fun fact, I did not know this. Maybe I should have, but he is an adjunct professor at Shenandoah University, which is right down the road. Um, Pretty awesome there. And he has a doctorate. So we're going to call him Dr. Blight. His name, of course, is Dr. Aaron Blight. And he told me before the show that he would find me every time I didn't call him doctor (laughs) on the podcast. So his doctorate is from George Washington University. He has a master's from the University of Baltimore and a bachelor's from BYU. He is married to the lovely Jessica. They live in Clark county, Virginia. So you, you have some experiences professionally and personally with navigating what is for many people can be unexpected. You found yourself in this position, but I want to back up like 40 years, 30 years, whatever. How does this start for you? Like if you could go back in time, would you have said one day I will be one of the nation's experts on caregiving <laughs> and aging?
0: I never imagined that I'd be in this place, Jason. And by the way, thank you for having me today. It's an honor to be with you. But I think it really began with my mother-in-law's brain tumor. At that time, I was 29 years old. My mother-in-law was 59. So it happened to our family at a relatively young age. And I was working in national healthcare policy at the time. I was at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Ironically, I was writing healthcare policy for elderly and disabled people, but I didn't have a clue what it meant to be elderly or disabled at that time. And all of that changed with her brain tumor diagnosis. Uh, We were at her home on a Sunday afternoon having hamburgers, and it was a great family day. And she just said, I think I've been seeing lights. I've been seeing flashing lights. I think I should go get that checked out. And we said, yeah, you should probably go get that checked out. (laughs) And she went to the doctor, and they said she had a brain tumor the size of a golf ball, Hmm. that she had weeks to live. They recommended immediate brain surgery. And if she survived the OR, and if the surgery was successful, she might live six to nine months. That was the news that she got.
1: Wow. Wow, your world has turned, yeah, just upside down and it's someone you love and admire and this isn't a stranger. this isn't a, this isn't a client from your previous company, That's right? right? Yeah. It's a woman you love.
0: And you know, I love my mother-in-law. She was, she was wonderful to me from the moment that I met her daughter. But we had no idea what was in store. All that we knew is that mom needed help. And so we said, we'll, we'll help her. We invited her into our home after the brain surgery. I'll never forget what she looked like. She looked like Frankenstein. Hmm. She had They had shaved her skull, and they had staples all the way up around her skull. And she was supposed to live in our home for two weeks to recover from brain surgery. She stayed in our home for almost two years. She Hmm. went through radiation and chemotherapy and a second brain surgery while she was in our home. We were the sandwich generation. My wife got pregnant and we had our fourth child while her mother was living with us. Wow. But she lived a total of five and a half years after that original diagnosis. She was a a miracle. Uh, But... The residual effects of that brain surgery had long-term implications, and she was in steady cognitive decline for the rest of her life. So we spent five and a half years as her family caregivers. Every day. Every day when she was in our home, and then when she left our home, she moved back to her own place, and mm-hmm. we were going over there yeah, pretty much on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Daytime, nighttime, helping her with whatever she needed. And we watched the slow deterioration of her mind, which was which was difficult.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Did you, at what point in that five and a half years did you think to yourself, or did you think to yourself, maybe this is happening for a reason? Maybe my errant professional background and faith background has prepared you for this, or. Maybe not.
0: At that time, I did not think like that, Jason, to be honest. It was all that I could do to just kind of get through it. I I was thinking about um, our family, and um, there are a lot of things I would do differently as a caregiver today if I had it to do over, but I I do not, unfortunately. Um, But I found myself struggling deeply during this time, especially when she was in our home, because it wasn't just about the physical caregiving. It was also about the relationship dynamics, the uh, the effect of her presence in our home with our children, and, and a lot of those things that really kind of um, affected our family relations. And so, so I, you know, I was just trying to get through it. I think Jessica was just trying to get through it. I think her mother hmm. was just trying to get through it. She, this was not her ideal situation either. She didn't ask to have cancer, mm-hmm. but we just did the best that we could. And it was really not until later that uh, I came to realize, yeah, this, this, this did happen for a reason, and and there are things that that I can learn and offer. As a result of this experience,
1: how many people in the country, approximately, are are caring for a loved one at home right now?
0: Well, the um, the latest information that I've seen is from twenty twenty. It's a report from the AARP and the National Alliance for Caregiving. The estimate was that there are fifty three million Americans who are providing unpaid informal caregiving assistance to a loved one in america that doesn't mean that they're in the home necessarily
1: 53 million
0: 53 million about one in five adults are providing some kind of caregiving assistance and so wow caregiving is ubiquitous you said it at the beginning mm-hmm. um, it's everywhere and if caregiving has not yet touched your life the chances are extremely high that it will there is a wide range of caregiving assistance that's provided and it could be minimal for people who are fairly independent and just need a little bit of help here and there all the way up to that type of 24 7 intensive support
1: okay so let me ask you this this is a hypothetical that has come up a lot not just in my family but friends and you're going to relate to this immediately and many many people listening will relate to this but this conversation happens i don't think dad should be driving anymore I just, I don't think, you know, the children are gathered around and it's that Sunday barbecue or whatever. And they're like, I, you know, yes, he's still capable. He's still independent. He lives by himself. But should dad really still have a license? You know, have you ridden with Dad lately? It's a pretty terrifying thing. Um, and, I, and I guess I can reference my own grandfather because he's been gone for a long time. He was driving late, late, late in life. And I'll never forget taking my then fiance Cody, to uh, visit him in a little, small, teeny, tiny town in the West. And he wanted to go take us to Grandma's grave. And I didn't think we'd make it home. I thought that we would end up in the same cemetery because of his driving. And, and that was a hard conversation for my aunts and uncles to have with him. How, first of all, how that happens every day, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. How do you know? How do you know when it's time to sit down with this person that you love so much that so badly wants to hang on to that bit of independence to get in the car and go to Walmart when they want to? How do you have that conversation?
0: That's a great question, Jason, and it's a question that families often struggle with. There is a chapter in When Caregiving Calls about independence, just on the subject of independence, because you want to afford your loved one the maximum amount of independence possible. You always want them to be able to live their life as independently as they can. But at the same time, you want to make sure that they are safe and that they're keeping others safe Mm -hmm. at the same time. And so sometimes um, an intervention might be warranted. Um, Sometimes family members have certain perceptions about an elderly person's capabilities that may or may not be accurate. Um, if you've ridden in the car with the person and you can see firsthand that this is a risk, then maybe it is time to act. But just because someone is older and doesn't do things quite the same way that they used to or the same speed that they used to does not mean that they can't or should not be doing those things. Hmm. There's a difference there, right? So when it's a question of, of risk and safety, yes, perhaps you should uh, get involved. Um but you should also try to afford as much independence as possible for your loved one. The The car keys is can be a sensitive topic because they represent so much of independence. You mm-hmm. have your, your loved one who's been driving themselves their entire adult life, mm-hmm. and now you want to come and take that away from them.
1: Forever, right? This, yeah. you, this is not like some temporary thing where look, maybe you shouldn't drive this week or da-da-da-da-da. This is, in most cases... You're probably never operating a vehicle again. That's that's a yeah. that's a tough call.
0: Sometimes um, it, people are very reluctant to do that to to surrender the car keys. Um, unfortunately, sometimes it's because of an accident or a, you know a, an event that prompts them to say, "Yeah, ooh, I, that happened, and I yeah. now I know I really can't drive anymore." Sometimes uh, a doctor's intervention can help as well. Um, if the, the person's physician gets involved in the discussion, people often tend to listen to the doctor a little bit more than, than their family members when it comes to things like this.
1: Yeah, understandably so. All right, so I want to ask you about um, three people that are listening right now, three uh, hypothetical John Doe's and Jane Smith are listening. So, are the f- these really hypothetical people. Yeah, they really are. Okay. So, three categories of people. The, f- the first one is listening to this and saying, um, maybe this happens to me, but I, my mom's really healthy and my dad's really healthy. Um, my spouse is really healthy. I just, like, I, I mean, I want to be prepared and I want to learn something from this discussion with Dr. Blight, but I don't know what my takeaway would be because I, I'm not there now. So what is your advice for that person who's listening right now who says, I'm probably in that, you know, least likely for this to ever impact my life? What do you say to them?
0: I would say that it might seem like it's a very remote thing right now, but this is also a great place to have some delicate conversations because you're not in a crisis. And unfortunately, when people avoid Talking about aging and talking about chronic conditions and death and dying and making plans and things like that. It's a very, um, it's a dark topic. It's Mm -hmm. not something that we want to talk about. And so when we avoid it, we just put off, you know, what will be an inevitable conversation and. Unfortunately, often people wait until there is a crisis, uh-huh. and then it's, uh, the, those decisions and those conversations are affected by the looming specter of illness and aging and death.
1: Yeah, so the, the it, best it, time to learn is when the pressure isn't on, right? The-
0: right, and making plans, mm-hmm. you know, and getting, getting your affairs in order and talking about what would be, what would you want at the end of your life.
1: Okay. All right. Now the second hypothetical, John Doe, Jane Smith, is they're in the middle of it today, right now. Like they're listening to this while their loved one that they're caring for is napping in another room or in a hospital bed in another room and hospices may be involved and but they're they're in the thick of it and they're listening to this episode and it's maybe not by chance that they have found this episode. And maybe they're not listening to it this current week, you know, that we're taping and dropping the episode, but it's three years from now. Um, what do you say to them? How do you give them hope and light in the middle of the storm?
0: So, caregiving can be a very, very difficult road. It can be lonely. It can be isolating. It could lead to incredible emotional struggles and spiritual challenges. And so, it's important for you to take care of yourself to access resources and supports that can help you through this challenge and you don't have to go through it alone a lot of times family members this is especially true with spousal caregivers they think oh i have to do this myself i can't reach out to others nothing could be further from the truth Um, because of the the major challenges that are associated with caregiving, uh, it would be very appropriate for you to seek out some help and support from others. And what type of support could that be? That could be reading a book like When Caregiving Calls. It could be accessing caregiver support groups, which are phenomenal. They are in person and they're online. It could be seeing a mental health professional, or a counselor and if you've never seen a counselor before this actually might be a very good time to see a counselor it's okay for you to acknowledge that you need a little bit of help and um, the other thing is that uh, that i would say to a person who's just in the thick of it right now is that your caregiving season will end hmm. and one of the really hard things about caregiving Is that it's like, it's like running a marathon without a predetermined finish line. You know, if you're, if you're out there, I'm a runner, I'm actually going to run a half marathon this Saturday. And once I start, I know 13.1 miles, I will be done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have no knowledge of when you will be done as a family caregiver. You're in it for the long haul. And often when you know, when you have a predetermined finish line, it gives you motivation gives you the strength to continue, right? Because you're like, yeah, if I could just make it two more miles, so if I could just make it one more one more mile, I I can do this. But you don't know how long you have. And you don't really know how your loved one's condition will evolve over time, but you know it probably is going to get worse. And so that can be a very sobering reality that you have to accept and you have to summon the internal strength and the resilience to continue over that long trajectory of caregiving. But it will end. And when it ends, if you have done everything that you can for your loved one, you will never regret it.
1: You'll never regret it. I, I like that. That's hard. It, when you're in the thick of it, you know, you're and you admitted previously, even you look back at your own journey with your wife and your mother-in-law, and you think there might be some things that you did differently. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily have regrets. You feel at peace about you did the best you could. Yeah. You hadn't you hadn't written a best selling book then about what this journey <laughs> yeah. would be like, right?
0: I think this is very important. Um, if you're in the thick of it and you're trying to figure out what, what to do, uh, another way to get help is to involve other people in the care for your loved one. Hmm. And it, it in your situation it might be okay to place your loved one into a facility. That's okay. Oftentimes people think about uh, facility-based care and they sort of try to match the services in the facility and the needs of their loved one. But there's a third component in addition to the services in the facility and the needs of the loved one. And that is the capacity of the family to provide the support oh. that the loved one needs. And if your loved one's needs are greater than your capacity to support them, you need to reach out and get help. And it's okay. There is no judgment here. There's no right or wrong.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a tough decision too, just like the car keys or whatever the that discussion can be hard. What do you do when your loved one says, Absolutely not? <laughs> no, I don't I don't need it. I don't want it. And I won't do it.
0: That's, a, that's probably going to be an ongoing conversation that you have with your loved one over time. And that position might be taken at one point in time. And as things evolve, as conditions change, as your loved one's health worsens, there might be a little bit more of a recognition that there is more intensive supports that are needed. Hmm and at some point the family member may have to say mom dad or my husband or wife i can't do everything anymore i have to i have to get some help
1: and the desire for the help is based on love this isn't right. i'm doing this because i want you to be better cared for than i'm capable of providing one of my very good friends who i know is listening um his mother was suffering from dementia and, and pretty rapid mental decline and said, nope, 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 I'm not leaving. And so they were all living together. And eventually, you know, after two or three weeks of sneaking out of the house a number of times, she was nearly hit and killed by a vehicle on a pretty busy street half a mile from her home. And, you know, ended up in the back of a, of a town police car being driven back home. And they sat her down and she said, I think you're right. It's time, and she lived another couple of years at, in a facility, of, uh, a very secure facility that specialized in mental uh, health and and those last couple of years of her life were were quite pleasant. She was it took a little, you know, the adjustment was tough, and there were some. She had some um, some second thoughts in the first few weeks she was there, but but her quality of life improved significantly by leaving the comforts of that home.
0: That is often the case. That's a great example of how things can evolve and change. And Caregiving is really a process of continual adaptation to your loved one's changing health. So whatever your loved one is experiencing today, that's what they're experiencing today. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow might be different. Six months might look very different than today. And so when you go into the caregiving process with that sort of mentality of continually adapting to your loved one's health and changing needs, um, you recognize what your, what it might take in order to, to meet those needs over the long time, the long trajectory of caregiving.
1: Well, and I, um, again, mention on the show page, we'll have links to some resources that Dr. Blight recommends, um, for those that do need some help, um, not just help with the one they're caring for in terms of maybe some getting professional help, but help for the caregiver themselves and some resources for them. Um, All right. So in our third category, we have um, actually, this is really fresh for me because it's someone that I just visited with the last couple of days uh, whose spouse passed away after a long illness. And they're both quite young. Um, My friend is quite young and my friend sort of confided in me very recently um, that she's feeling almost guilty at having this space now to do what she to travel, to stay out a little bit later with coworkers and have dinner. Um, and And so there's a little bit of a battle like I' I miss my husband deeply, but I feel really liberated to do some things that i've not been able to do for a number of years and the question was posed jason what do i do about this and i said well i'm gonna talk to my friend <laughs> dr blight so tune in to right where you are no what do you what do you tell someone like that in this third category who says my my season has ended as you promised it would and we know that it will and now they know they want to know what's next how do i how do i now navigate the next journey
0: yeah, those are very normal feelings, Jason. And um, you, family caregivers, find themselves consumed with the care of a loved one for this long period of time, this protracted period of time. Um, as I was wrapping up when caregiving calls, I found myself in a conversation with a man who had cared for his wife for seventeen years. Hmm. And she was, uh, the end was very near, and he, he said to me, I, I don't even know who I am anymore. What am I going to do when she's gone wow. 17 years of caring for her? And the truth is, life, your life goes on. Your, your life does not have to end because your loved one's life has ended. In fact, your loved one probably wants you to live your life mm-hmm. and to be happy and to have joy. And so, how do you do that? What does that look like? It might look different than the way your life looked before caregiving. Your life is now going to be informed by that caregiving experience. You're probably going to be a better human being. You're never, ever going to forget your loved one. You're always going to honor them and remember them and celebrate their life and be grateful for their influence in your life. But... This is a new chapter, a post-caregiving chapter, and you owe it to yourself to figure out how to how to move forward and how to how to look to the future with faith and and to live a joyful and a happy life.
1: Yeah, you're not dishonoring anyone's memory by suddenly taking that cruise you've wanted to take but couldn't because your spouse would suffer. If anything, you're honoring it by by going out and doing some things. That's a, that is a a good way to look at it. I want to get just sort of to take a couple steps back. This thought occurs to me that there's someone listening who says that they are familiar with some of the companies out there who provide home health care. And this person listening says, I'm a single mom and I have a couple of children and a full-time job and a career and I have to pay the mortgage, but I also have my mother or father with me whose health is declining and i don't think i can afford some kind of professional service as much as i wish i could where where do i go how do how do i if i don't have financial resources to to bring in one of these wonderful companies that are out there that provide these services what do i do
0: yeah so after my mother-in-law passed away about a year later Is when I transitioned in my career, I left the federal Medicaid program and opened one of these home care companies. Mm -hmm. And we provided services to individuals and families uh, that were customized based on their individual needs. And usually those services were funded out of pocket it can become very expensive the total cost is really a function of utilization mm-hmm. so more hours of care during the week means a higher total cost mm-hmm. but it still will probably be cheaper than facility care at least early on mm-hmm. and then when the when the support is more intensive and you need like 24/7 care it's going to cost more than than a facility um, there are some other sources of uh, third-party payers that might might cover these types of services. Uh, one is not medical insurance. Medical insurance does not pay for these services. Huh. These are considered long-term care services. And so long-term care insurance, which is a different type of insurance, will cover these services. You have to go out and you have to purchase a Uh long-term care insurance policy to access that. There also are government programs, including through the Veterans Administration, uh, the federal Medicaid, Medicaid, not Medicare, Medicaid, will pay for these services on a limited basis. But the individual has to qualify for Medicaid. And so that may mean... um, spending down assets and being below a certain income level okay. in order to qualify for Medicaid. But your family member, if they qualify for Medicaid, could also qualify for these types of services.
1: So first of all, to that person listening, ask questions. Don't assume that there's not an answer. There there are no bad questions when you're faced with this, right? So yes. get on the phone, call someone, hit your favorite search engine. It is, Something. It is
0: a, an ongoing learning process.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um well, Aaron Blight, what have you learned about yourself that you did not know the day that your mother-in-law found out she had a golf ball sized tumor and that your lives were going to not ever be the same? What have you learned about yourself that you just you couldn't imagine would would appear, develop, transform inside you? <laughs> Let's get deep,
0: Dr. Blythe. I think that going back to that period of time, you know, I had no idea how my life would evolve as a result of my mother-in-law's health condition. And I I made a decision after much prayer and and, uh, inspiration, I feel, to change the course of my career and and, uh, try to help families that were in the same situation as ours was because it was so hard. It was it was a very disorienting thing for us to go through. And since that time I really have devoted myself to try to help families that are in this situation. And I've looked at it from the business side. And then I when I received my doctoral degree, I studied caregiving and came to understand so much more on a deeper level what happens in the roles and the relationships and the families that are impacted by caregiving. And so if you had told me, you know, way back when my mother-in-law first got her brain tumor, that that I would have a doctoral degree and that I would have this academic research-oriented understanding of caregiving, and then I would be out talking to groups and write and wrote a book on caregiving, I would have just said, uh, I cannot imagine that. That's... Just the furthest from my mind. But um, I do feel that uh, that I've been led to do this work and, and it's for me, it's a it's a labor of love. It's oh. a calling. It's not something that I'm required to do. But I know that uh, caregiving is profoundly important to individuals and families. And it's taught me a lot about what it means to be human, hmm. what it means to love what it means to care and to minister to others. And I'm just really grateful for that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an opera. Caregiving is, it's this unique opportunity to partner with God. I was going to ask you, I've been asking occasionally, not every episode, but I occasionally ask my guests if they think they're doing what God wants them to do. And it's, Pretty obvious in your case, the answer is yes. And of course, our listeners don't know that there's a picture of Jesus Christ, a beautiful painting on the wall over your shoulder, and I know how important he is to you and what your relationship is. But as you were talking just there, I thought, what a what a unique opportunity caregiving is to partner with heaven. Um, I bet you've had some remarkably sacred experiences, not just personally with your wife and your mother-in-law but even professionally where you have sat in the homes of clients or prospective clients and it's not about an invoice that's right it's about divinity
0: that's right i you're absolutely right jason and that's why i love this work because it is profound it is spiritual um i do feel like um caregivers are really the hands of god Hmm. helping people and relieving pain and suffering and trying to lift others and make life better. And so in doing that, caregivers really represent the best of humanity. Caregiving is always selfless. It's always focused on the other person, always trying to help the other person to make their life better, however that is. And I do think that that's how God looks at us. He's always trying to help us and and wants us to be lifted wherever we are.
1: I love that reminder. And I want to, before we get to our last two questions, which I'm really excited to hear your take on, um, I just want to say, I think it's really important that families, as best we can are counseling together through this journey. Um, you've talked a lot about Jessica and how important, um, obviously your communication was dealing with, you know, this journey with her mother, but also professionally, I know that she played a huge role in your previous yeah. company and, and working with, with um, clients. But I, I made a note as you were talking um, that we had to, we had to take a minute to talk about the power of counseling with families if you're wondering whether to have the conversation about dad and the car keys, counsel with your siblings or your children or whomever it is. And as best you can make decisions that are unified in a spirit of love and peace. And um, it's not just a matter of don't, don't do it alone. It's you shouldn't do it alone because there are other people who, who are involved in this story, whose story it is, who also love this person. So Talk it through, right?
0: Absolutely, and I and I would involve your loved one as well, mm. dad or mom, mm-hmm. in that conversation and in that in that family council, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's their life. You're making decisions that will affect them, and it's so important to allow them to have input and to you know self determination is a, an important principle when it comes to people who are aging. Always always trying to maximize their independence and respect their decisions and their their wishes.
1: Yeah, well, I love that and it, the thought occurs to me if you are in this position and you're listening right now and you think, well, I am in a situation where I need to make some decisions about my mother, but my brother lives in Colorado and we haven't spoken for 20 years, well, guess what? Now's probably the time to pick up the phone and I and I am certain that's not a far-fetched scenario that there are people listening feeling that way
0: sometimes sometimes estranged family members come together Hmm. because of a caregiving related situation Um, sometimes it's it can produce healing and mending hearts sometimes it doesn't sometimes uh, those uh, estranged relationships remain that way unfortunately
1: but you won't know unless you pick up the phone that's right um i love that well Dr. Aaron Blight, as you know, the name of the podcast is Right Where You Are, W-R-I-G-H-T. I love asking guests what that little play on words means to them. What does that phrase, right where you are, mean to someone like you?
0: Well, I love the the play on words, as you said, as a, as a writer. I know that was very intentional, mm-hmm. very clever, Jason. So kudos to you on the, the name of the podcast. Beyond that, I think it really represents today and what we have before us and you know there's um, we can't change the past we can't predict the future but we can today and this is what caregivers do they live in the present every day is a gift and caregivers learn to live in the present you can't really plan for a future necessarily when you're a caregiver because your loved one, your loved one's needs will come first. So, you make the most of of today and do what you can today, right where you are.
1: Perfect. And shout out to JD, my daughter, who you know, who um, who was speaking family councils. The name of the podcast, as silly as it sounds, we talked about it as a family for a really long time, and and uh, it the name came as a result of this council and JD finally saying, "Wait a minute." Why don't you add a W? So shout out to Janie. Um, That's her
0: idea, huh?
1: Yeah, cool. she's, she's, job, uh, yeah she's the best. <laughs> well, you know, we uh, here at the podcast, we like to think that everything we say is so important that it will end up in someone's journal for the rest of their lives, right? Uh, the truth is that um, most people listening right now will not remember everything we've said. But you have an opportunity um, to pick one thing. The one thing that you would most want my audience, your audience, your readers, your clients, um, your consulting clients, your family, your church family to remember about you, your life, your mission, your calling, your journey—what is the one thing? What is Aaron Blight's one thing?
0: I think if it was what what I would hope people would remember about me is that I really um, I love the Lord. And I tried to please him.
1: That's it. That's the shortest, most direct answer I've gotten to that question. I love it. Um, and again, he's looking uh, over your shoulder at us, no doubt approving of the good life that you're living. Well, friends, look, let me just say as we wrap up, um, I know a lot of people that write nonfiction. And I love them. And, but most people who write nonfiction are writing for them. And I can tell you that uh, my good friend, Aaron Blight, did not write this book for himself. He wrote this book for you. And you didn't even know that until you tuned into the episode today, my friends, listening, wherever you are. Um, This is not about uh, royalty streams and brand building. It's about um, creating something that could be a blessing in your hands. So um, pick up the book. It is available as... um, in trade paper it is available as an ebook it is available there's an audiobook even read i think by the golden voiced author himself (laughs) aaron blight um but but pick up the book and lastly i would say pick it up before you need it pick it up before you need it um you won't regret it Uh, As we say goodbye, I remind you, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts, Audible, Spotify, Apple, etc. And thank you again for giving us some time. And Dr. Blight, thank you for giving us some time. We'll link to all the good things you're doing in the show page and hope that people will check out uh, the good work you're doing. You are a fundamentally good man and a good example to the people around you.
0: Well, thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. And, And you are a fundamentally good man. So I appreciate all that you do. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at Jasonfright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at Jasonfright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.